What up, New Hope? I hope and pray you're doing great today. And I'm so glad you are in the house of the Lord today. I am in Indianapolis uh, preaching for my good friend, Pastor Steve Poe, sharing my story and and they're selling my books. And Steve is gonna actually be here uh, in a few weeks where he is gonna be speaking to you and he's going to make his book available to you as a church, which is a book that really is foundational in this particular series that we are in entitled Killing What's Killing You. And uh, today you have the unbelievable privilege of hearing from a dear friend of mine and a friend of New Hope. I am talking about Pastor Derek Idol. Let me tell you about Derek. I met Derek when he was at 12 Stone Church in Atlanta. He served at 12 Stone and grew this fantastic ministry. And then he went to Liberty University where he is not only a professor at Liberty, but he oversees the entire student ministry department at Liberty University. Now, let me tell you a little story before you get to hear this brother preach. Many, many years ago, in fact, in 2013, Pastor Derek was here speaking at a follow conference, follow me conference for our students. And he not only gave an invitation for salvation, but he asked the students in the room that day, if you feel God calling you to ministry, raise your hand and surrender to God's call upon your life. Now check this out, church. There was a person in that room that day who you got to hear preach last Sunday. I'm talking about Abby Ferguson. And if you were here, you heard an amazing message from this young woman of God that we have grown up in this church. If you missed it, go to our YouTube channel and check it out. But on that day, Abby Ferguson lifted her hand and surrendered to the call of ministry as a result of Pastor Derek's preaching and the movement of the Holy Spirit. And I just think it is so cool that we got to experience Abby's first message from this stage to the movement last week. And this week we get to hear from Pastor Derek who invited her to surrender her life to the call of ministry. It's just a great story to show the way in which what we do at New Hope Church matters not only for this generation, but for generations to come. So you are in good hands today. Come on, New Hope. You know what to do. Give it up and welcome my friend, Pastor Derek Guy. Here we go. What's up, New Hope? Man, what an intro. What a powerful testimony. I didn't know that. Um, until uh, until this week uh, when I when I saw that video, man, that, that's that's super cool. And let me tell you, it is an incredible honor for me to be here on this stage to get to open God's word and get to share and partner in ministry with what's happening here in New Hope Church. This is actually my fourth time preaching here on a Sunday morning, and uh, and I'm excited to jump in God's word today and talk about what we're going to talk about because I believe what we're going to talk about today matters for every person in this room, and it also matters for the next generation that's coming behind us, that we have to get a good grasp around this, and this issue we're gonna talk about is probably one of the most prevalent issues going on in our nation right now, so I'm excited about that. Now, um, 
Last Sunday, a week ago from today, um, I was on an annual fishing trip that I go on. Um, I mentored this guy's son, and my wife mentored his daughters, and so he flies me down uh, and takes me on his boat, and we go fishing, and he's the best fisherman I've ever fished with, and we do some amazing, amazing fishing. And last week was a unique, special experience for me. A week ago on Sunday, I caught my PR, my personal record, Red Snapper, and I got a picture of it I wanna show you, 27 pounds, 27 pounds. Additionally, I also caught my PR gag grouper, 38 pounds. I got a picture of that as well I want to show you. And uh, what also made this, this fishing trip unique and a unique experience is it is the first time that I've ever been fishing 120 miles offshore on the hills of Shark Week. <laughs> and I'm going to be honest with you, church. Sharks were on my mind when I was out there in the water, and especially about 15 minutes in, one of the guys that was fishing with us, he hooks up on this big grouper, and he's reeling him up, and then all of a sudden, his line went, and then, and then all of a sudden, it got light, and he didn't think much was on there, and he reels it in, and this is what was on the line, that. And the shark took all of the fish except for its head, and so while we're on the boat, we could see in the water column below us two 12 to 14 feet foot shark, foot feet whatever the proper English is, uh, swimming around underneath the boat. I'm so nervous about the sharks, I can't even talk. Right? They're swimming around the boat underneath us. Now I'm just gonna tell you something, church. You, there is no amount of money in the world that you could pay me to jump in that water with those sharks, you know what I'm saying? Because, uh, here, here's why, here's why. Because sharks are serious, all right? They're serious. There's anything I learned from watching Shark Week is that sharks are serious. They can talk about, oh, sharks are innocent. You know, they try to make them like these little fluffy, like little creatures that are like, you know, little bunnies and stuff. And oh, they're, they don't hurt people and all that, you know. Baloney, I see all of your protective equipment you're using. I see your rescue team and your med kit on standby, right? Like, I see the talks that you're giving these celebrities and people who've never been in the water. Like, I see you giving them these talks and giving them the do's and don'ts of what to do in the water while you're with the sharks. Like, no, people, right? Even the experts know that sharks are serious. Now, if you're a Shark Week fanatic like my wife is and make me watch it every night, then you saw the episode of someone that treated the sharks casually. And when they treated something serious, meant to be serious casually, when that happens in your life and when that happens in Shark Week, you get bit. <laughs> and this guy got bit. And I'm about to show you a 40-second clip of what happened in this scenario, in this scene, all right? But I'm gonna give you a viewer discretion advice deal. Somebody's about to get bit by a shark. And I got the video approved from Pastor Benji and the team, so uh, there's your warning, and uh, check it out.
nope. She said, nope. Right? I mean, that's serious, right? Like, that's serious. Like, that's intense. Now, here's the thing. This guy thought that it was a good idea to take a wakeboard and ride it and jump into the middle of a feeding frenzy of sharks. He treated casually what is meant to be serious. And here's what makes the matter even more serious. That shark could have bit this man anywhere. They're miles from help. Fortunately, he got bit on the arm. Had he got bit somewhere else, perhaps more dangerous, he could have bled out and died before he ever got out of that situation. Now we look at that situation and say, no, no way. You're normal like I am. And you're like, there's no way that I would do that because sharks are serious. But here's a question I have for you today. What about other things in your life that should be taken serious that you don't take serious? In fact, here's a question for you. Do you take serious what God takes serious? Do you take serious what God takes serious? This is what I find with some people, they take some things that God takes serious, serious, but that one thing that they like to hold tight to their chest, they don't take that thing serious, and they should probably take that thing serious. And today, we're gonna have a conversation about something that God takes very serious. In fact, you guys have been in this series uh, talking about killing what's killing you, and we've been talking about different sin habits that have a tendency to trip us up in our society, in our culture, and in the church, and they take us out. And God is going, look, you need to take this serious so it doesn't take you out, so it doesn't affect your relationships, so it doesn't hinder your leadership, so that you can live the abundant life, the full life that God has prepared for you. And so you have to take it serious. And the topic that uh, I've been asked to teach on today is a real nice soft toss topic <laughs> called lust. And uh, so today I'm gonna be talking about lust. And I wanna give you guys a definition as we kick this off. Uh, and I'm gonna give you a couple definitions, but I'm gonna start with this one definition because I wanna point out something in this definition that's important for us to realize when we have this conversation about rust, lust. And here it is. Lust is a psychological force producing intense desire, that word, intense desire, for an object or circumstance while already having a significant other or an amount of the desired object. Lust can take any form such as lust for sexuality, for money, for power, <clears throat> and it can take such mundane forms as lust for food, which I had when I was eating those fish. Um, but what we see from this definition is that based on this definition, lust can take on many forms, and we, we see this to be true. Some of us in here, we struggle with lust in, uh, from the sexuality side, and for some of us, we struggle with lust from the power side, and for some of us, it's, it's the lust for money, or it's the lust for success, or it might be the lust for your kids' success. Like, my, I got small kids. I got a four-year-old and a seven-year-old, and my seven-year-old daughter uh, plays soccer, and it is amazing how fanatical parents of seven-year-olds are about the success of their kid playing soccer. There's seven people, right? But there's this lust that we have for these things. And, and what I know is, is that we're all tempted with different things, right? We're all, the things that I'm tempted with, they may, I may share some of that with you, but you may have things that are completely different that tempt you than the things that tempt me. And there might be things that, 
that, that don't tempt me and don't tempt you, but the person that you're sitting beside of is tempted by. And the enemy knows this. And the devil, the enemy, Satan, he's a clever little punk. And he does different things in order to tempt us. In fact, I think Satan is a master fisherman. I love what Thomas Brooks said. He says, he says Satan baits the hook of the flesh with the temptation of the world. That because we have a sin nature, a part of our being a descendant of Adam and Eve, and we have this sin nature, we have this flesh, that we live in the flesh, this flesh has desires, it has appetites. Sometimes these desires are intense. And sometimes these desires are intense for things that are not of the Lord, they're not of God. And these desires can trip us up. These desires can take us out. And Satan knows this. And he goes fishing for us, and he, 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 he knows that our flesh, you know, he, he has things in the world that he puts in front of us, and he throws it in front of us in order to tempt us with those, those temptations that we have. Like, like, as an example, he's out there fishing for us, and he might, he might throw anger in front of us. And you don't bite. Now, what do you do if you're a good fisherman, and they're not biting your bait? Change the bait up. And he throws another piece of bait on there, and he throws, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's success or, or something like that. And we know success, there's nothing wrong with success, nothing wrong with money. Uh, but when you have a lust for it, it becomes an intense desire, and that becomes the focus of your contentment, and that's taken off of the Lord and who he is, then that is a problem. And, 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 and you don't bite. Puts pornography on there, and he throws it in front of you. And you bite. What does every good fisherman do? when he finds what the fish are biting. Keeps using the same bait. And we wonder why sometimes we feel helpless laying on the deck of his boat. We can't get over it, we can't break free from whatever sin issue it is that we are dealing with and that we are struggling with. <clears throat> and so because of this, we have to know and recognize where the temptation comes from, we have to recognize when we're talking about all of these different areas in this series, how we're all tempted in different ways, we have to recognize where this comes from and recognize that it comes from Satan. It doesn't come from the Lord. The Lord does not tempt you. I hear people tell me all the time, Pastor, God's tempting me again. No, he's not. That's not him. You're being tempted, but it's not the Lord. In fact, this is what 1 John 2, 16 says. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The lust that you have is not from the world, or from the Lord, but from the enemy who is using the world to tempt your app the appetites of your flesh. Now here's the deal. This is one of those conversations talking about lust that we can go in a 100 different directions, and I could focus my attention on several different areas, but I wanna focus the attention of the conversation we have today on one area that is surrounded around lust, and typically, the thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word lust, that's the area I wanna talk about. I wanna talk about sexual sin and the appetite for sexual sin as it is related to lust. And uh, so I wanna bring you another definition of lust that's gonna hone that in for us, and there it is. A disordered desire for sexual pleasure, where sexual pleasure is sought for itself, that's important, isolated from its procreative and unitive purposes. Let me read that last part again. Where sexual pleasure is sought for itself, isolated from its procreative and unitive purposes. In other words, the scripture would teach us that there are purposes 
for sexuality and there are purposes for sex and these purposes that God has put them in place for are important purposes for procreation as well as for unitive purposes that with a relationship between a husband and wife, this is an important integral part of the relationship that brings about unity and intimacy in the relationship that is significant. Marital counselors in counseling often ask early on to find the health of the marriage and they can determine a lot of that oftentimes by the frequency of intimacy that exists in the marital relationship. In fact, if you keep reading uh, in the passage, I'm gonna, the main passage we're gonna camp out in in 1 Corinthians chapter six, which is the sex chapter of the Bible, if you go to the next chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter seven, Paul is addressing this perverse culture, this culture that even has a temple to, to, a, 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 to, to a goddess um, of sex and fertility where they would have a thousand temple prostitutes where people from Corinth, married and unmarried, would go to this temple in order to fulfill these desires that they would have, these intense desires that they would have in and of themselves. And Paul's saying, stop doing this. And he tells them in chapter seven, hey, husbands and wives, you need to get together on this. You need to have conversations about this. Unless you've both mutually agreed, then you should be having intimacy with one another because this is significant in squelching the lustful thoughts within both partners in the relationship. That this is a significant part of it and this is where this is acted out in the context of the marital relationship. And so we see this, that there's a unitive purpose in it. And so we're gonna see here in this passage, if you got your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter six, we're gonna see in this passage <clears throat> the seriousness in which God takes this conversation. We're gonna start reading in verse 18, and uh, I'm gonna jump in and I'm gonna read it, and then I'm gonna back up and we're gonna kinda break it down. It says this in verse 18. Flee sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This is a reiterated theme throughout this chapter. In fact, if you back up the verse 13 in the same chapter, he says this. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. When it comes to sexual immorality, lust, when it comes to these things, you have to run. You have to run. The first four words in the verse that we see here in the passage we just read say, flee sexual immorality. Now listen, when Paul writes this, everyone listening understood exactly what he was talking about. When he writes this, the Greek word used there for that word flee represented a person who was like a spotter or a runner for a city or a town. During this time, they did not have military radar. They didn't have warnings or indicators when a neighboring city might come and attack them and try to take over their, their women and kill all their men and take their possessions. I mean, it was a ruthless culture. And so what would happen is they would take people from their city, men who would be considered spotters or runners, trusted people, and they would go stand on the, and hide and camp out on the outskirts of other cities and towns that neighbored them. And then if they saw the men preparing for war, preparing for battle, 
They would have run as fast as they could back to the city that they were from to warn all the people in the city that that city was preparing for war. Then all the men in the city would prepare for battle and the women and children would sneak out the back of the city to go and find a place of refuge so that they wouldn't be killed or destroyed when the city was attacked. This is the language in the word that is being used here by Paul to talk about how we need to address sexual immorality in your life. He's like, listen, you have to flee. You have to run. You have to get out of town. You gotta get out of Dodge. You gotta get out of there because there is something about sexual sin that is different from others. And we're gonna see that in a minute as well in the passage. You gotta get out of there. You gotta run. You can't hang around. I deal with a lot of high school students and college students and, and my, um, you know, and, and, and being a professor at a university and, you know, leading in student ministry and different things like that and, and dealing with them, you know, they're, they're, they ask me all the time, well, you know, hey, like, you know, like, you know, how, what are boundaries and stuff I should set my relationship? And I'm like, Lane, you got to set boundaries. Like, I'm not going to be in the basement alone with my girlfriend. I'm not, I'm not going to put myself in certain situations. But what happens if I show up at my girlfriend's house or my boyfriend's house and nobody's home? You run, like you run. Literally, you, you claw, you run, you get in your car. She's gonna look at you like you're crazy. He's gonna look at you like crazy. What are you doing, crazy person? I gotta run. Why, because if you go in that house, you better not go in that house. <laughs> you better not. Flee, flee. Sexual immorality, what is sexual immorality? This word. Sexual morality comes from the Greek word pornia, which, which uh, is where we get the word pornography from uh, or porn from. And this is an all-encompassing word in the original language. Literally, the word means any deviation from God's plan for sex between a husband and wife in the context of marriage. That is the definition of that word. Any deviation from God's plan for sex between a husband and wife in the context of a marital relationship. Now this is significant because I have young people tell me all the time, yeah, but the Bible doesn't say like, you know, like I can't do this and that with my girlfriend or person I'm not married to. Oh, uh, yes it does. Yes it, yes it does. Right there it says it. And every time you see that Greek word used, it says it. But we're not going, we're not going all, all the, does that honor the Lord? Is that something that is sexual contact with someone who is not your husband and wife outside the confines of marriage? That's what that means. That's what that scripture is saying, literally. You have to run away, you have to get away from it. You have to get out of there. Young people tell me all the time, <clears throat> you know, college students, high school students, but listen, adults think this way too, not just about this particular scenario, but any type of scenario. And they ask me this question, they say, they say, how far is too far? And they're referring to the relationship that they're having with the person that they're dating or the person that they're interested in. How far is too far? And I think that's an interesting question, how far is too far? Because what they're asking is, how far can I go in the relationship with the person that I'm with physically or sexually, 
so that it doesn't cross the line of sin. In other words, how can I dance on that line of sin? If I was an imaginary line of sin, and this is sin and this is not sin, how can I get so close to that line without falling over? So I can do as much as I can without falling over. And I think it's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. We do this with all types of things. We're trying to find the loophole. How can I live however I wanna live and be the God of my own life, but also try to maintain some sense of morality in my life and, and still be considered a follower of Jesus? How many drinks can I have before it becomes sin? How many fill in the blank before it becomes sin? If you're always walking the tightrope, you're gonna eventually fall over. The better question is, how can I get so close to Jesus? How can I walk with him in such a way that that line is never even an issue in my life? How can I have such an appetite for the Lord that those appetites don't even tempt me anymore? That's the better question. That's the better question. Well, why do we have to run? Why, like, why run? Like, why do we have to take this so seriously? He tells us, look, flee sexual immorality. Then he goes on and he says this, and he tells us why right here. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. All other sins are committed outside the body, but when you sin sexually, you sin against your own body. In other words, sexual sin is put in a category of its own. It's put in a category of its own. Now, I know what some of you are thinking because you've heard this, this misinformation in church most of your life. Well, sin is sin. All sin are equal. Not according to the Bible, they're not, because all other sins are committed outside the body, but when you sin sexually, you sin against your own body. It's the only sin that's against your own body. If all sins are equal, then how is there an unpardonable sin? All sins are equal, it's partially true. All sins are equal in that all sin, no matter how small or big, separates us from God. All sins are equal in that it doesn't matter how small or big, those sins require Jesus to die on the cross for them so that you could be saved. All sins are equal in that way, but all sins are not equal in the consequences that they carry, and not all sins are equal in the enticing nature of how those sins trip us up. And there is something enticing about sexual sin that is different than any other sin. Now that might not be something that you deal with, but I'm telling you as a whole, there's something about it. And Jesus addresses this a little further. I was gonna read this to you a minute ago, but I'm gonna back up and read it. But Jesus addresses further talking about sexual immorality and talking about the physical contact of it. Jesus takes it a step further and is like, look, you know, sexual immorality, the physical contact, he takes it even further and talking about even us looking at someone that's not our wife or our spouse. He says this in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart or her heart. That even looking at someone in that type of a manner with that type of a lust. So, you have to take sin seriously, especially this sin, because of the intoxicating nature of it, or you're gonna get bit. So here's a question for you, going back to what we were talking about earlier. Do you take your sin seriously? Do you take your sin seriously? Now, it might be this sin. It might be something that we've already been talking about in this series. It might be something we talk about later. 
You know what that thing is that trips you up, but do you take your sin seriously? I'll use an illustration of something that I use. I literally have this conversation 50 times a year, no exaggeration, or more. I have college students, college guys or high school guys, which by the way, pornography, and lo- this is not a guy's issue, this is a all people issue. The fastest growing demographic of porn users are females. This is not a, a guy issue, this is a guy and girl issue, a man and woman issue. But, uh, but, but I have guys come up to me and they'll say, man, like, bro, like I'm, like, you know, high school guy, man, I'm, I'm, man, I'm, 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 just, I'm just eat up with pornography, man. Like I can't stop looking at it. It's, it's destroying my life. It's destroying the way that I see relationships. It's destroying the way that I see women. I'm planning my, it's always on my mind. Like I just need help. I don't need to get past this. Can you help me get past this pastor? And I respond to them and I say, are you serious? Are you serious? Yes, pastor, I'm serious. No, no, no. Are you really serious? Because if you're serious, I can help you. But if you're not serious, I can't help you. Yes, pastor, I'm serious. Cool. Where do you look at it? I look at it on my phone. Which, by the way, I think it is crazy. Someone who is an expert on 10 through 25-year-olds, I think it's crazy that we put smartphones without any, without any boundaries on them in middle schoolers and high schoolers and college students' hands when they have a porn vending machine right there for them to use at any time that they wanna do with no consequence, no directive. Man, it, it's crazy. And even for some of us adults. But I, they say, on my phone. I say, cool. We gotta get internet off your phone. They start to backpedal. Ah, pastor, 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 homie. What's up, bro? Like, look, man, look. Like, I got my Instagram. Like, I got my Snapchat. Like, I got my, like, man, like, I got, like, I got my music, man. I like my music. Like, bro, like, like, look, anything you want me to do. And I just look at him. I knew you wasn't serious. So I'll tell you what. When you're serious, and I say it just like this. When you're serious, you come back and talk to me. And I walk away. And I usually get about 10 steps. Okay, pa- pastor. Yep. All right, all right, man, I'm serious. And I go, okay, cool. Do you pay for your phone bill? They're 16. I know they don't pay for their phone bill. <laughs> nope. Cool, we gotta tell your dad. Ah, stop. <laughs> you ain't serious. You ain't serious. You're not serious. I had students come to me and I used to give them Triple X Church, which had this great program where they'd put, you know, uh, um, it would send your accountability partner, you could set up an accountability partner and it would send them the websites that you looked at. So if you ever looked at anything, it would send your accountability partner that and they would know it. And that, you know, and they, your accountability partner would put the password in there and all this type of stuff and it would send it to their email. So I have students be like, hey, pastor, would you be my accountability partner? We did it. What I found is it doesn't work. It doesn't work for their pastor to be their accountability partner. It doesn't work for their friend to be their accountability partner. Partner. Just doesn't. They don't care if their friend or their parent or their pastor sometimes even sees the sites that they're looking at. They feel bad about it, but it, like it doesn't make them think twice about looking at it. But you know what does? When their mom's their accountability partner. <laughs> so they say to me, hey, pastor. I say, yeah, man, this is awesome. Like it's gonna send a thing to your accountability partner. Like, man, this is amazing. This is awesome. Like they're all excited about it. All right, cool, cool, cool. 
email address, accountability partner, what's your mom's email? They look at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, bro, you ain't gonna think twice about it if I get to see what you're looking at. You've already told me you're looking at porn. You don't care if I know. But you do care that your mama knows. It's not accountability if it ain't gonna make you think twice about it. It's just vulnerability. Not accountability. Serious sins call for serious actions. Whatever that may be for you, but specifically for this, serious sins calls for serious actions. You are not serious if you're not willing to do what it takes to get past it and honor the Lord with it. I think it's important in this conversation of lust, just real quick, <coughs> I wanna share just a real quick about how I believe and the scripture would show us that lust draws us in, because it's important that we see kinda how this works. It starts with the eyes. It starts with the eyes. In, in Matthew 6, Jesus says, your eyes are the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Which, by the way, as a, as a man who struggled with lust a lot in my past, when I became a believer in, in Jesus, I went and I memorized every passage of Scripture in the Bible that has to do with lust, temptation, and all of that with my temptations. Jesus battled temptation with scripture. Every sin issue that I've ever had in my life, I have went and memorized every passage of scripture on that. I write it down, I put it on my steering wheel, I put it on my mirror in my bathroom until I get it down because I believe that hiding your word in your heart leads to you fighting that temptation. David says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. And this is a way that we can battle and fight temptation. And, uh, but your eyes are a lamp of the body. And, and when your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body is, is, is unhealthy. And what happens is we see something and then it begins to get into our mind. It begins to get into our mind. And this is where I think sin begins to kind of, kind of uh, get cultivated and get fertilized in our mind. And Paul would tell the church in Corinth later in 2 Corinthians 10.5 to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And then it begins to settle in our heart. And when it settles in our heart, we begin to justify our sin. We begin to marginalize our sin. We begin to look for people who will affirm us in our sin, celebrate our sin, so that we can feel okay about being a Christian but living however we want to live. And this happens in every area of our life no matter what sin you're dealing with. And it settles in our heart. Paul would tell the church at Ephesus not to let the devil get a foothold. And when it settles in our heart, this is when he begins to get a foothold. And I wanna, I wanna show you, let me show you a little pattern of what happens. In fact, this right here will be very helpful for some of you that are not married. We have students that are watching, uh, you know, uh, we have, uh, we have uh, uh, you know, college students, we have, you know, young adults, we have singles, we have those that, you know, were previously married that are single now and navigating your relationships. And I believe that any relationship you get into, no matter how old you are, you need to honor the Lord in that relationship. You need to set right boundaries in that relationship that doesn't lead to certain actions in the relationship that would compromise your integrity and your walk with the Lord. And as a man of God, as a woman of God, that's how we should think as, as believers in Jesus. But um, uh, uh, one of my, one of my uh, pastor uh, friends, you know, um, uh, you know he, he uses this analogy, which I think is appropriate for this conversation of a parking lot. And he's, you know, imagine if there were, you know, a parking lot and I'm standing on one end and that's the other end and there's kind of lines to the parking lot, you know, where each parking space is. And, and I want you to imagine, imagine the parking lot and there's the lines that go forward. And what'll happen is, you get into a relationship and you're a Christian couple and you wanna honor the Lord in the relationship and you're setting the boundaries and you say, hey, so here's the deal. We're only gonna hold hands. 
This is our line. We have drawn the line in the sand. We don't want our relationship to go in a place it shouldn't go. We're gonna hold hands. This is what we're gonna do. I remember the first time I held my wife's hand. My little heart. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then after a while, after a while of holding hands, holding hands didn't have that same feeling in the hand first time you held her hand. Now, I know for some of you, maybe so. <laughs> so then, you say, okay. So you cross the line that you made and you go to the next line. Okay, we can, we can hold hands and we can kiss, but nothing else. Now, this is important. It seems innocent, but this is just what happened. You just cross the line and you maintain a new line. And it's important that you maintain a new line because now you've given yourself some new set of morality so you feel good that you're still holding a line. I'm holding a line, so I'm still being moral. And then you cross that line. Okay, we can touch on top of the clothes, but not under the clothes. On top of the clothes, not under the clothes. We're adults here, some not. And then it's under the clothes, but not all the way. And then it's all the way, but we're gonna get married. We cross lines and hold the new lines and cross lines and hold the new lines. And we don't just do this with sexual sin. We do this in many different areas. And all we're doing is justifying, marginalizing, helping ourselves. That Holding that new line helps you feel better about the sin that you've let yourself off the hook with. Man, this is a heavy conversation to preach to a church that <coughs> you're not a pastor at. <coughs> <laughs> Paul reminded the church at the end here, and he says this. Um, it says this at the end of the passage that we're reading in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, do you not know that your bottles of bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Honor God with your bodies. So what do I do? A Couple quick things and, and, and we'll wrap it up. The first is self-evaluate. I think you need to self-evaluate. What is it that the enemy, what is it that the enemy, the bait that the enemy uses to hook you? What is that thing? And what serious action do you need to take to address that issue? And I'm gonna tell you, it might take serious, serious actions. I have adult friends who have flip phones who are extremely successful people and businessmen and everything else. Man, I gotta have my calendar, I gotta have my, I gotta have my email, I gotta have my whatever. That's fine, you can have all that and lose your family and lose your spouse and lose your kids and lose everybody else. Which one's more important? Serious sins call for serious actions. I don't care if you look like a fool. As a student pastor, I get to spend time with kids who, have, who are living in the wake of terrible decisions from their moms and dads. And for everyone, and we gotta guard our eyes, we gotta guard what we, you know, the wandering eye thing, not cool. The pornography thing, not, you gotta guard what you put before your eyes. You gotta guard what you put before your mind. You gotta guard what you put before your heart. I didn't say this in the last service. I'm literally watching the Olympics last night. The Olympics come on, I'm watching the Olympics. I'm not gonna say what's for, I'm not gonna say whatever. But what I am gonna say is, is that literally the, what I was watching, they were wearing things that were a little bit too scandalous and not something that I felt like I should be watching. My wife's in there, my kids are in there, so I turned the channel. 
Like, man, it's the Olympics. So like, what's the big deal? Like, it's a, you know, I'm, I'm just telling you. You gotta guard your eyes. You gotta guard your mind. You gotta guard your heart. And the last, for you singles, young, uh, young adults, students that are in the room, begin thinking about right now, before you ever get into dating or if you're already dating, what type of boundaries do you need, commitments do you need to put in place in your dating and in your single relationships so that you can honor God with your bodies, honor God with your life, so that when you get through, it will carry you, uh, uh, it will carry you on into your marital relationships and there will not be any regrets and things that come along with that. Well, we're gonna close out our time together. <laughs> today, and uh, if I can have you stand up, we're gonna pray, I'm gonna pray for you, and, uh, and, uh, and we'll close out our time together. Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you for just your word, and God, that we can have conversations about tough things, that Lord, you, in your word, even give us instruction on the most deep, most intimate uh, details and issues of our life, that we can go to your word, and you can instruct us, and you can challenge us, and Lord, that you can change us. For those that are in this room that need to make some serious steps and serious actions in their, their life right now. I just ask God that you would bring that conviction to them, that you would reveal that to them, and Lord, that they would make those decisions and take those steps. For those that are in here that are single and, and those in here that are uh, you know, uh, not even thinking about dating, but that's in their future, God, that they would begin to walk with you in such a way and pursue you in such a way that they can set the right boundaries in relationships and honor you in the relationships that they have. And God, that we would let your word guide our lives in everything we do. We love you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.